are listening to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring you the best tactics, strategies, and actionable insights for change through our powerful interviews with change management practitioners and leaders. And now here's your host, Teresa Moulton. My name is Teresa Moulton. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of the Change Management Review, and I'm here with Paula Sizik, who's the Chief Research Officer of Nobel. Prior to joining Nobel, she was Innovation Manager at the IPG Media Lab, advising brand and media clients on emerging technology. And as Senior Innovation Consulting at Mandala, she led customer behavior, consumer behavior and brand strategy research for brands around the world. Clients have in- included Warner Brothers, Chanel, Capital One, Illumina, and more. She graduated from Georgetown University, majoring in marketing and international business. And the, uh, I'd like to tell you a little bit about uh, her company, Nobel. Nobel is a global change agency that believes that organizations can choose on their own terms to work differently. They can consciously design the company culture they want and implement and scale it over time. Since the company's founding in 2014, their work with over 100 clients in dozens of industries has shown that together, change is possible. In fact, the capacity for change may be the last sustainable competitive advantage. So we're excited to be here with Paula and learn about culture and uh, uncertainty and ambiguity and how to how to lead and manage change within that context. Welcome, Paula. Hi, Teresa. Thanks so much for having me. I think there is lots of uncertainty and lots of questions right now about how leaders can best respond to this current environment. So really excited to get into the conversation with you. Yeah, I'm excited too. I'm really interested in how to how to foster internal cultures in this times of, you know time of uncertainty. There's been a lot of articles, as you and I had uh, spoken about, on uncertainty and you know the VUCA the VUCA times with the volatility and everything. But um, the culture piece has been mentioned and been, been made more uh, present. But what do you really do with it when everybody's in this uncertainty? <laughs> How do you handle that from a change perspective? Right. I think there are, well, let's, let's break this apart. There's lots of different ways that we can go about addressing that. First of all, like, let's talk about what we mean by uncertainty, by, by VUCA, what some leaders, what organizations are experiencing right now, right? Great. What we're seeing is there's no one clear trend. Right, which is which is part of uncertainty. We have some organizations which are looking to hire people; they can't hire people fast enough. Other organizations are looking at layoffs. Mm. You know, people are dealing with supply chain issues. They're dealing with increasing worker demands. Right, everything from people refusing to go back into the office to this idea of quiet quitting. Right, of of people setting more boundaries to increase in union drives. Right. Mm. Um, there are there are lots of things going on that leaders and organizations really haven't had to deal with before, or certainly not all at once. And so our our philosophy on this is this is actually going to become sort of standard. Uh, there there isn't going to be a return to normal. This isn't just a, a period that we're going through. This isn't just a phase. 
This is what I'm saying. Um, and so what organizations and leaders are going to have to do is actually develop a culture. This is an evolution. It's, it's not a short-term fix. They're going to have to become better and more comfortable and develop skills to be able to navigate this constant change and to be able to evolve along with the culture that we see in the organ, the, you know, society at large. Uh, they're going to be able to respond to their consumer demands. They need to be able to be flexible um, and, and respond. And that's what is really important. Uh, so, so then the question becomes, how do you do that, right? Like that's, that's an easy thing to say. Um, and that's where we can start to break it down and really think about what this looks like. So um, very top level, uh, obviously we work with organizations that go through this all of the time, uh, but it starts with the top. It starts with the leadership having some idea of, of a vision and an understanding of what is going on in the market. Um, and you won't, you won't know everything. I want to make that clear. Again, this is, this is a market of uncertainty. Uh, we define uncertainty versus risk as uncertainty. You don't really know what's going to happen. You don't really know what the future holds. Whereas risk, you, you have some idea. You can calculate the odds. Um, so we're moving forward into this era of uncertainty. But you should still have some idea of the purpose of your organization, right? What is the mission? Who are you trying to help? Who are you trying to serve? That's really where it all starts. Who, who are you trying to help? Uh, what do you want it to achieve? We like to talk about this as a moonshot, uh, but it's, it's really coming back to like, why do we exist beyond the need to make money? Um, once you've established that, like once you have a grounding with your team and you have an understanding of the general direction that you want to go, um, then it is creating the space, really. It is creating a culture and an environment where people feel that they can take risks, that they can work through these issues both independently and as a team, that they can come to together, together and discuss how they want to move forward. I think that's really an undervalued skill of, of CEOs. It's this idea that comes from psychology, actually, of, of holding, of being able to hold space, to be present with people in their emotions um, as, as they're working through these issues. And I know this sounds very touchy-feely and this, this, this feels very soft, right? This doesn't seem like the, the hard numbers that CEOs are often being demanded of in these uncertain times when they're supposed to be meeting their numbers um, and setting new goals and, and being really strict. But I think, again, this is, this is all part about, of it. We need to be thinking about how do we actually create an environment um, what are the systems and structures that we need to put so that people can do their best work within these organizations? Long answer. Uh, don't know if I necessarily answered everything about it. I don't know if there's necessarily one answer to how you deal with uncertainty in the market, um, but it is, it's having a vision for where you want to go. And then that, the strategy, right? We, we talk about aligning strategy and culture. So deciding what choices you're going to make in order to get your goal and then aligning your culture so that how you work allows you to achieve what it is you want to get. I think your answer was really well said, uh, Paula, and it raised for me um, a perspective from a change professional's uh, point of view, which is that coaching skills are becoming really important to change management professionals to build into their um, repertoire of um, 
capability. And so when you were talking about holding the space and leaders needing to hold the space, I think that would be one skill set that could really help leaders hold the space for people to um, learn about their structures and processes and what they absolutely need um, to manage ambiguity themselves. The other thing that you said that I think, um, at least in my opinion, makes a lot of sense is actually having some structure in place. So managers and leaders helping um, helping their employees uh, put some soft structure in place so that people have something to hang on to and they're not just uh, moving, you know, in a, in a complete vacuum. Um, so I thought, I thought that was a very interesting uh, conversation. Um, oh, do you have a comment? Yeah. 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 If you don't mind me jumping in. Oh no. Yeah. Um, one of the things we really encourage organizations and leaders to build in is time for reflection, mm. both personal reflection on how you're operating as a leader, as, as an independent contributor, as well as how you're operating together as a team, mm -hmm. especially in these times of high pressure, especially when there's so much emphasis on performance and action and getting ahead of the curve, people default to, to just go, go, go. Mm -hmm. We'll often say that, um, you know, slow is, you have to first go slow to go fast. Mm -hmm. If you're not taking the time to reflect on how you as an organization are operating, if you're not taking a look and doing, for example, retrospectives, mm -hmm. um, if you are not coming together as a team to think through what have we done and what do we need to do better in the future, you're just going to keep repeating the same process and, and potentially the same mistakes. So mm -hmm. it's really critical that despite the pressures to perform and move quickly, you have to take that time out to really assess how you're operating and what you need to do differently in order mm -hmm. to change. Yeah, I think, I think that makes a lot of sense. It made me think about when uh, Nobel creates a change strategy for a client, um, do they act, do you actually build in that reflection time into your plan and your strategy? Yeah. So our discovery phase looks a lot different than many consultants in that we'll do interviews, of course, and one-on-ones and, one and document review. But one of the things that really, I think, sets us apart is we'll do retrospectives with teams and mm -hmm. we'll do both project retrospectives where we look at a specific project, we'll build out a milestone, a uh, series of milestones and actually go through what worked and what didn't, as well as team retrospectives, right, in which we're looking at how these teams are operating together on mm -hmm. a variety of different factors. And that's actually more important in many ways than the 101s. Like, yes, it's important to build those relationships and to get insight into what different individuals are experiencing, but just bringing people together often for the first time, often this is a new skill for teams and they start to understand, oh, my experience of this project was different than your experience of this project, or they might have assumptions about why something didn't happen the way they wanted. And when they actually talk to the team, it's like, oh, you were just being difficult, right? Like mm -hmm. you were facing your own issues that I didn't have insight into. Mm -hmm. And so just, just having that very first conversation and bringing people together, again, to reflect on how they're working together is one of the first aha moments, right? It's one of the first times teams start to understand, oh, this is why things are happening. 
it's, mm -hmm. it's not just the story in my head. I'm getting a more comprehensive picture of what's going on in the organization. Now we can start to move forward and figure out what we want to change. That's great. And for those of um, us who are listening, uh, who have agile experience, um, is this retrospective technique uh, from the agile approach? Um, yes. Because, okay. Yeah, we've definitely stolen it from, from Agile. And of course, we've made our own adaptations to it. Sure. Um, we would like to think of ourselves as Agile with a small A, not a, not a capital A. I think sometimes people can get really wrapped up in the, the formal or the official process. Our suggestions to teams is always start with the basics, start with a simple model or a simple process, but then evolve it, right? Agile is there to serve you. Any of these tools are there to ultimately serve you. So try it, evolve it, iterate on it, just as you would with, with any other process and get it to a state that best serves your organization and your particular cultural needs. Right, because from a project management perspective, uh, project managers may hear this and think, oh, it's a post-mortem, you know, or it's it's something like that. But it sounds to me like it's not really a post-mortem because that's about what worked and didn't work on the project. This is about how did you feel, you know, how did you experience the work on the project? Is that is that correct? So again, we would use those actually interchangeably. We'll okay. call them post-mortems. Uh, sometimes we don't like post-mortems because that just makes people feel a little icky, to be yeah, honest. Right. Like they, yeah, exactly. they start to be like, Ooh, what, what happened there? Um, so we'll call them retros or postmortems, depending. Look, look backs, names are, are not necessarily as important. Um, but like I said, we'll look at we'll look at two things. We'll look at what actually happened, right? So mm -hmm. with a with a project retro, for example, we'll have them build out the milestones and we'll encourage them to be as neutral in those milestones as possible. Like just, just the facts, um, mm -hmm. deadline missed, right. Or team got together for pizza. It mm -hmm. can be, can be a cultural event. It could be something that's actually in the project plan. Um, mm -hmm. what have you. Um, and then we'll actually have people go through and say, okay, what worked about this and what didn't work about this. And that okay. could be, that could be, again, that could be your personal experience of it. It could be uh, what actually happened with the team. And we really emphasize that one, everybody has a different experience of, of the same event and that could be valid. And mm -hmm. you could have both a positive and negative experience of the same event and that's mm -hmm. also valid. The point is not to prove anything or to point fingers, right? Mm -hmm. What's happened has happened. Um, but it's to start to identify like, okay, are we seeing any big patterns here? Um, mm -hmm. Are there things that are cropping up for everybody? And that's where we should really focus our attention going forward so that if it was a good thing, we make sure we double down on that and keep, keep repeating that. It's a lot easier to keep doing what you're good at. Or if it's a bad thing and we want to avoid it, are there things that we can put in place to make sure that doesn't happen again? Or if we see it happening again, um, how, do we, how do we sort of head that off at the pass? Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, thank you for that perspective. I'd like to shift um, to another topic. Um, and that's about how to identify the inflection points of change within organizations during uncertainty. Yeah, this is a really great, great question. And it's one that we've been exploring just in terms of barriers to change. A lot of times people, of course, are really excited about the idea of change, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody knows, well, this isn't working. 
um, but they don't necessarily know how to how to make a change or they don't know what the change should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I actually let me let me actually take that back a little. Sometimes people don't necessarily know that things things aren't working or they don't accept that things have to change. So that's that's I would say actually the first inflection point. Um, I had a, a former boss uh, at, a, at another job who told me people don't change until it hurts. And I think that is that is a, a very true statement of the human condition, right? If everything's if it's not broke, don't fix it. If, right. if everything's if everything's hunky dory, right? Like why why throw a wrench in it? Right. Um, and so again, getting back to this idea that different people have different experiences of the same event, the very first thing you have to do is essentially convince whoever's in charge, the stakeholders, whoever's involved. I would say. Um, that this isn't working and that we need to do something differently. Mm-hmm. There's, there's many ways to do this, right? Uh, it's going to depend on your cultural context. Could be gathering evidence, right? It could be a variety of like surveys and, and one-on-ones to indicate that, hey, people are finding this frustrating. Could be company statistics like turnover rates, mm-hmm. uh, right? And information you're gathering from exit interviews or it could be production numbers are going down, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But you have to be able to show people why they should care. Unfortunately, you can't make people want what you want. Um, That's if if I could, uh, I probably would be in a very different industry. I'd probably be retired at this point already um, because I would just convince everybody to give them my money and and that would be it. Um, But but you can't, right? Like people, people have their own interests and their own desires. And so what you need to do is, is figure out how what you want aligns with what it is that they want mm-hmm. um, and how a potential change can, can get you a, a win-win situation. Right. That's great. Um, so we're about out of time, uh, Paula. What is the one uh, message that you want to make sure listeners get from your discussion? I know you had quite a few. <laughs> I think the most important thing that people take away is that change really is possible. You know, Mm -hmm. there was just a study that came out. uh, It was really interesting because what we do is we're we're, again, let me, let me actually start this again. Uh, Can we, can we edit that? (laughs) (laughs) So um, I think the most important thing that people should take away is that change is possible. It's not always easy. And certainly in the midst of all of the uncertainty that we're dealing with and the the pressure to perform, again, it can feel like it's so overwhelming. It's just one more thing. Can't we just do business as usual? Mm -hmm. Uh, And the answer is that not not really. Like if you really want to succeed in this new environment, you're going to have to change. Um, But it is possible to do. In fact, there was just a study that came out recently, um, really interesting because it was, it was looking at how people respond to change. And it turns out that in this, it was, it was a big study, uh, 20,000 observed choices. Um, and this came out in the Association for Psychological Science Journal, basically. Um, but people tend to write off even small and incremental change 
if they don't see that change is a colossal success, if they don't see that everything is completely different, they're like, oh, well, nothing changed, right? They'll, they'll just sort of shrug it off. Um, whereas they'll, uh, total failures, they'll be like, yeah, that was, a, that was a total failure. People have no problem ascribing uh, total failures to that. So what I would say is we as leaders, we as organizations really need to be thinking about how do we break down change into something that is small and incremental and manageable and prove that change is possible, change is happening. And if you keep working at it, it actually can be a different organization. You can improve your culture. Um, so that's, that's, I think, the big challenge for everyone, for, for change practitioners, for change leaders, is thinking about how we continue to motivate people, how we continue to prove that change is worth it. And it's not just worth it, it's really the only option if, if we're going to survive in this environment. So that would be my encouragement to you. It's, it's to remember that change is difficult uh, and it's certainly not a straight line between A and Z, but you can always make a difference in some small way and those differences add up over time. Great, well said. I, like, I really liked that, um, you know, that explanation and kind of takeaway, I think. I think it's a concept, I agree with you. I think it's a concept that um, people don't often think about, you know, the incremental change and, you know, the, we can do something better. It feels more all and nothing a lot when it's project driven. So thank you for that. Um, Paula, how can people get a hold of you? Great question. So we have a newsletter which goes out every week in which we're talking about what we're seeing in the industry, how uh, organizational design and change management and change management are evolving, um, practical tips and tools that you can use, uh, ideally within 24 hours of reading. We try and make it so simple that you don't need sign off, you don't need approval or budget. It's just something that you can try with your team, with your organization, with your clients to see if you can make that, that little incremental change and start working and thinking in a different way. So if you want to sign up, you can go to nobl.io. And of course, I'm happy to get in touch with anybody if they want to reach out to me directly. I am paula.cizek at nobel.io. And maybe you can share information in the link and people can feel free to reach out to me there as well. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time and expertise. And I know that folks are going to really enjoy uh, listening to this as they go hiking or driving or whatever they're doing. So thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Change Management Review Podcast. Be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.